three higher ed authors, 100 plus college and university presidents, dozens of actionable insights for academic leaders. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education is now available on Amazon. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Yes, I can say that in my sleep. Dr. Joe Saluto here with you again on another episode of Add Up as we march towards now 650 episodes and 300,000 downloads of this podcast every single day podcasting at lunch. Yes, that's what I do every day at lunch. You ask, how do I do this? Somebody asked me this morning, how do you have the time? I eat while podcasting. That is the secret to the Oedipus experience. I eat while podcasting. Elvin Freitas, the amazing co-founder of this um, podcast, edits late night in his uh, apartment in New York City when his kids and wife are sleeping and he heads into the bathroom and that's where he does all the editing. Professional organization here, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we do. Um, one thing we do very well, I have to say, maybe a little pat on the back uh, for me and for Elvin, is we like to bring amazing people to the microphone. And I think we've proven that we can do that. That's one thing we do well. The podcasting part, I don't know, at least on my end, I make a lot of mistakes. So what are you going to do? But I've brought someone to the microphone today as my co-host. I've been trying to get her. It's like, you can come co-host. And she responds to me sometimes. <laughs> and then other times she doesn't respond to me. She's like, I'm running a multi-billion dollar uh, enterprise over here. Really? I mean, you want me to podcast? No, she's so great. Um, and I, I had the uh, distinct honor of being, and Elvin and I, both of us being at the most recent iteration of eLive um, in New Orleans this past March. And I've gotten her to the microphone now as a co-host for the first time after being a three-time guest. She is Laura Ipsen. She is the CEO of Elucian. Laura, welcome back. Thanks, well, I should Joe. say welcome to the microphone for here. the first time on the other side. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. I know it's going to be fun. You don't make any mistakes. I've heard your keynotes before. There isn't even an um and or an on there. So you're <laughs> going to have to get used to me making mistakes. You can be the shining star. We all make mistakes. That's part of learning. There's a culture of learning is, is, is um, iterating and knowing when you need to learn more. Thank you for making me feel better about myself, Laura. I appreciate that. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm not going to make a mistake when I introduce my guest today. In fact, I know his institution well, and I have stories behind why. Um, and I'm going to tell them here. Here he is. He is Dr. Raymond Crossman. He is president at Adler University. Ray, what's going on? Welcome to the mic. Thank you, sir. Really super happy to be here with you and Laura. We're happy to have you. And uh, we always start these episodes out um, assuming that somebody has not heard of Adler University. What do you do and how do you do it? Adler University makes social justice practitioners. We're a graduate institution. Um, we have three campuses, one in Chicago, uh, Vancouver, so two downtown urban campuses, and an online campus because that's the future of higher ed. Uh, we're a graduate institution that makes uh, like psychologists, public policy leaders, um, organizational consultants. Uh, and when we make a psychologist, uh, we make somebody who's critiquing psychology, um, talking about who psychology doesn't normally work for to make sure that they can work um, with populations who've been overlooked. Um, that's our social justice focus. We come by it honestly. Uh, we come from the writings and teachings of Alfred Adler, um, who was the first guy, I can talk all day about Alfred Adler, but he was the first guy to talk about how our health resides within our community life. Um, and uh, part of our history, too, is when 
Adler died in Vienna in 1937. His main follower emigrated to Chicago and moved into Hull House, a human rights organization, and started teaching out of there. So we come out of these radical writings and we come out of a human rights organization. And that's how we have um, a higher ed institution, a university now with a particular point of view. Um, I like to say that Adler University is a political organization. And what I mean by that is that we stand for something, not that we're partisan, you know, not those kinds of politics, but that we stand for something. And uh, we look for a particular meaning in our curricula. We're not for everybody. We're for people who are passionate about making um, a change in communities um, in uh, creating a more just society. Amazing, amazing. You know that the world of higher education is experiencing evolutions and revolutions. You want to be part of the progress. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education with insights from more than 100 college and university presidents will show you how. Get your copy of Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education now on Amazon right away. We think you're going to love it. It's amazing. See, um, when you, th this is interesting because when I said, tell us um, about Adler University, or if I ask that, I've asked it over 600 times to people who've come on here. Typically it starts out with, well, we're a graduate institution and we do X. You started out with, we're a social, we, we're social justice practitioners. We train social justice practitioners. And secondarily to that, you said we're a graduate institution and you did it in a particular order. And I'm going to ask you why. You know, I think it's important to understand how we get to who we are through understanding our legacy. Um, that's how we got so specific. Um, we didn't decide to do it recently or through a marketing campaign or through any other uh, uh, means. I mean, I certainly tell you all kinds of cool things about us as a higher ed institution. You know, we're a small graduate institution, 2,000 students. Uh, our completion rate is 87%. That's equitable, too. Uh, we have the same completion rate for our BIPOC students. We can get into all that, but I, but, but I start with like where we come from and why, um, because that's what our students uh, sign up for. They want to make social change happen, and um, and we're a place that tries to help them to have the skills and the competencies um, in order to do that. Hey, I'm going to pass hey, it. I'm going to pass it to you, Laura. Hold on. Yeah, no, I have to be astonished. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I always I'm really curious about how people become the person that they are. Where did your passion around psychology, you got your PhD, social justice, like what was at the root of that? I mean, you're you're an amazing leader. You've been at Adler for 20 years and the deep commitment that you have and the focus and what you've been able to achieve, it, it's rooted somewhere in in, in your history and, and curious to how leaders uh, grow up to be the amazing people that and leaders that you've become. Laura, I really appreciate that question because it's very specific for me. Um, I'm a gay man who grew up in New York City in the 80s. And so that means I'm a product of the swirl of the HIV epidemic, which was happening at the time. So I uh, wanted to, I was studying to be a musician. I, I thought I was going to be all kinds of things. Um, and I decided to um, study psychology um, and become a psychologist because I was trying to understand all the oppression and hate speech that was going on at the time, how the state was turning its back on us as we were all dying. And, um, you know, went to graduate school for psychology to learn about that. It turns out that that's not what psychology is about. 
because uh, <laughs> Adler wasn't around yet uh, doing the kind of work they were doing right now. Right. But um, but I learned to be a psychologist uh, because of those origins and then got passionate um, in thinking about how psychology could be applied to leadership and eventually became an administrator. But it's from those roots. That's wonderful. I I have to tell you, so Adler University, when you go to your website, it is so clear what you're trying to accomplish. And in the in the landscape of higher education today, not every institution is completely clear what they're doing and for whom. Um, and we talk about that, like marketing and differentiation and what niche you provide. Um, long story, I'll, I'll make it short. Um, before my time here at Lindenwood University, I came from a nonprofit startup university in Southern California called Claremont Lincoln University. It was trying to do some of the same things. It was, we were social, it's, it is still there, social justice focused. Um, trying to grow in you know bring in students all with a social justice bend to it and one of the things that we always struggled with is how how do we make this so clear to students to the point where they go this is what i want to do and how do we not chase away the student that's not sure that social justice wants to be the focal point of their studies and the answer was always you kind of got to pick a lane you can't do both and you guys have really said this is the lane this is the differentiation how does it work for you and is it the, the that's like three questions in a row but is it the student coming in going i want a socially justice focused education or are they saying i want an education and i'm glad that you're socially justice focused you know what i mean there's a difference there is a difference i, I think it's the former rather than the latter although we 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 attract students i think in both those categories um and to the extent that we've achieved clarity, it's because it, it's beyond communications for us, right? So we've worked very hard to um, make sure that we have the integrity of a hot dog. What I mean is Excellent. no matter which way you cut a hot dog, it's still a hot dog, right? So the board of trustees is recruited first and foremost um, for their experience and their values related to social justice. Um, you know, that is baked into all staff and faculty interviews. Um, that's baked into our curricula about what we expect students to learn. Um, and frankly, like my most important task over the past 20 years has been developing fidelity mechanisms within the institution to make sure that we don't have conservative drift. Because, you know, there are all kinds of polls, you know, as, as we grow or you know, as 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 we surf the vicissitudes of the um, enrollment landscape, um, you know, to become more generic, more conservative. Um, and so uh, to the extent that we've been successful at making sure that we're we've got that integrity, no matter what you slice us, it's because we're trying to do it at all levels. Hmm. What are the huh. innovative um, practices that you have that 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 give that um, freedom and opportunity for all of your students and your communities to to develop and to you know so that we don't become polarized with that level of conservatism. Like, what are some of the things that your students do to activate? Yeah. So the first thing that students uh, are exposed to after orientation and grounding and you know. Um, a, a series our orientation has people unpack their privilege and you know um understand why and how they're coming to social justice work but that the first uh, experience that we put them into is what we call the social justice practica 
Um, so that's kind of like our gen ed, even though we're graduate, right? It's it's the common experience that everybody has before they get into the dis discipline specific content of their specific academic programs, masters and doctoral programs in different fields. And in there, we have a series of seminars, which, you know, uh, put um, a lot of specifics around our institutional definition of social justice, um, which is super important. Social justice is not about just doing good or, you know, having good intentions or any of the different things that people um, uh, ascribe to social justice. It has to do with equitable allocation of resources across communities. Nailed it. So, um, so, so we work hard in those seminars to supply that. And then everybody goes out into a practica, um, into a, um, an organization, most of them grassroots organizations, um, that do social justice work. Um, everything from like the, um, the, uh, policy office of a local politician, um, to a, um, a little scrappy organization that's trying to get Chicago Police Department to be more accountable to communities, yeah. right? And yeah. they, they within those, they have to do a, a project within there and it helps them pick up skills to do this kind of work. Um, everything from advocacy skills, but also things like fundraising. I mean, like all the particular skills that go into grassroots organizing, and they come back within the seminars and share about those experiences. And that's a level set before people get into the rest of the curricula. So I think that's one important thing that we do in order to create a space that you're describing, Laura, where people can across the rest of the curricula, you know, dream big about how to address injustice. Well, I mean, I think it's a wonderful experience for your students and also the lives that they touch of others and the community that they build. So um, what a great way to, to jumpstart and activate their, their learning journey. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's humbling for students, right? Because a typical university model is we go out as experts and tell communities what to do. <laughs> you know, so this flips that such that um, we are beginning a conversation where students are learning from community rather than the other way around. Do you feel Wonderful. like uh, do you feel like your retention is better because the student knows exactly what they're getting and why they're getting it right i'm one of the i think one of the hard pieces about student retention is it's easy to let other things dissuade you from your educational pursuits when they happen around you and it makes you question do do i have the time do i have the resources do, do i really need this right now but because you have students coming in with such intention is the intentionality overwhelm in uh, uh, in a positive way, some of the barriers that students feel because they go, I have to do this. I have to get this work. I need this work, not just for myself, for my kids, for my communities. Is that a driving force that helps you keep people moving through? I think you're right about that, Joe. The, uh, you know, uh, students, our students' passion um, just truly amazes me. Um, and so, you know, when I talk about, students come to us, um, you know, knowing they want to change the world, but not necessarily knowing exactly how. Um, and I, um, as they start to have experiences, some of them come with very clearly formed ideas, but many do not. And as I see their answers getting sharper and more specific than um, I was expected to do in my own graduate program about how to 
uh, lean into populations or help communities? Um, and, and, and sometimes like more sharper answers than what our faculty have about what needs to done, be done, what's happened. You know, we're making a generation that's better and more clear um, in expectations for what society should be um, than the current generation. So I, I think there's definitely something to your hypothesis there. I don't know how to uh, test it, but yeah. Well, um, that you know, I always think about that because retention is the hardest thing. It, it's the hardest thing in higher ed, right? You you have yes. to keep somebody going for so long. Yeah. You need amazing data to do it. You you can profile students. You can look at data analytics. But when it comes down to it, it's about self confidence building. And the reason I ask that is because I, you know, if I know, and I'm sure, do you have a do you have like a capstone project where they have to go out and community build or something uh, and and execute like a real time project? Sorry, that was a complete. Did you see how I started almost asking you a question? Totally just shifted gears. Right you're in going the... into data science. Um, I was yeah. for a minute, but I was like, Laura can do that part. But <laughs> talk to me about the cap capstone project in particular or, or or like project that you have. And is it a real time go out into the community and do some kind of good? Joe, you're giving me whiplash. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> most, yeah, uh, um, most of our programs, if not all of our programs have, um, uh, you know, have capstones that that have like a qualifying exam baked in them, as well as a community-based project. Um, you know, a, a, a final practica. Um, you know, um, the uh, the online programs have specific capstone projects because that's you know a, a best uh, practice, especially for online programs. But but um, uh, but but yes, they. I think your question was whether or not they exist, and I think it yeah, helps and almost like the landing. Yeah, so that they, they, they have these ideas that they go out and start nonprofits for, right? But they're in there doing social justice work. I'm wondering how much it it becomes really actualized for them in in a way because they go, oh, I've identified this problem that really resonates with me, and now I'm going to put some kind of framework together, and now I'm going to go start a nonprofit or work for this nonprofit or yeah. invest in this nonprofit. Yeah, 96% of our students are employed within six months. And I think that's because their, um, their employment uh, starts like <laughs> when they're still within the program. They, they, they get like passionately engaged with a practical organization or uh, a supervisor points them to the right direction. And, and uh, that's, that often happens as a result of the capstone. Hmm. We, we could talk data science. I don't know if we have anybody here that knows anything about that. Um, Laura, what? <laughs> well, and, and maybe it's not about data science, but I'm curious on your thoughts around how do we use the right knowledge and data that we get in the right ways to support students, to support their individuality, to make sure that they're safe, to uh, help guide them through their learning journey, because these days there's lots of data that we that you can measure. You can men measure mental well-being to see the changes if students are are consuming the services that that you provide them. If they're going to the health center, if they're swiping their meal card, they're attending classes. Um, how do you catch the students that are falling off track early enough in the right ways to support them, to nudge them to social services, to um, give them ideas of how they find their 
their group, their people, um, when so many students are struggling. I have a daughter at, um, who's a student athlete who is studying neuroscience and um, you know, definitely see the anxiety and the, you know, the need for community beyond her, her athletic community. And, you know, finding that sometimes is, um, you know, they like to work through social media and meeting people that way. But I, I think sometimes we don't catch some of the students that struggle, they don't find the, the services that they need, and they drop out. And so I'm curious, you know, it's not about data science, but it's about the value of information. And, how we use it to be um, not profiling, but cautious, and uh, but also uh, future forward on you know that those insights can help um, support students better uh, and also protect them from um, you know harm in in many cases too. I'm curious about your thoughts on that and the community that you build at Adler. Yeah, um, and that that is like one of the questions that our sector is trying to face into right now. Um, and that's especially true for our undergrads, right? So, um, you know, our year-to-year our -year persistence is um, is 96%, hovers around there year-to-year. Uh, uh, -year, and our, like I said, our completion is 87%. Um, so we hold on to our students and we finish our students and, um, and it's a bit of a different environment, Laura, than like than an undergraduate environment. I mean, what we say to our adult commuting population at the beginning of the program is, um, is you're a professional now who's in charge of your education. You're not in the sausage grinder of undergrad. You know, you're you're we're not in charge of your curriculum. Actually, you are. Um, and you're also in charge as a developing professional, as you will for the rest of your life, of uh, uh, what you need and what you need to be well to do this work. Um, right. So all our students, like, you know, you, you, if you're going to be a psychologist, you better be in therapy <laughs> because graduate school is stressful and because doing this, doing social justice work is stressful. And, True. and you can't... Uh, um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to go to a therapist who hadn't been doing therapy themselves, right? So for all those reasons, you know, um, we we tell our students psychology or not that they need to be taking care of themselves. Um, and uh, they get that message. It's a it's a it's a different community. It's a different way to socialize uh, students than what is going on um, and what needs to go on for undergrads. Yeah. Um, Although I, I will say that, um, you know, graduate students across the pandemic have been very clear that they have more needs than ever um, and um, that they're um, they, they, they want us to line up um, services for them in a way that we weren't doing before the pandemic. So we've increased uh, mental health resources that are available to our, again, commuting campus. Um, we thought about different kinds of wellness programs and uh, common hours and seminars to give students. Um, we, um, but we don't have the same kind of data that that you're increasingly seeing being collected for undergrads on our campus. And and maybe just a tie-in question: the seventy percent, um, some of the studies I read of students are saying that they suffer from either. Um, depression or anxiety. What are the types of things you think we could be doing better to address 
overall mental health. Um, you sat on many boards, um, you've spoke on these topics, but what can we do? Um, most presidents are saying it's a crisis. You see iPads data showing more funding's going into it. Uh, there's not a silver bullet, but what should we be doing to help these students that are uh, really suffering and, and more of when we went through COVID, the underserved communities, uh, black and brown students are suffering more. They were left behind. Um, the queer community, like it just feels like things are getting tougher for students that things were already tough for. Absolutely. And I think it the 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 enduring um, ongoing crisis of this pandemic will be a mental health challenge. Um, I, I do think it's a positive thing that, uh, you know, that these conversations are happening, that recognition is happening for the need for um, health and wellness, not just physically, but mentally. Um, we just had the Surgeon General of the United States visiting our campus, to, uh, you know, looking at some initiatives that we're doing around this out in communities in Chicago um, with our partners. Um, I'm pleased to see the conversation happening on our campuses as well. Um, my um, wish, though, would be that we start having conversations about it at the different end. We're talking about mental health treatment and in providing services for people who are depressed or anxious or um, otherwise overwhelmed by, you know, racism and uh, different challenges within, within the world or different experiences and traumas um, that they've experienced. Um, we need to go upstream from that. Um, you know, it, it's too late once problems are uh, manifesting um, uh, to address them in the way that we could have if we had a, were having conversations on our campuses about health promotion and wellness and prevention. Yes. Um, and so setting up all of those tactics is, um, you know, to my mind, more important than putting more uh, psychologists into our counseling centers. Um, so, so that may um, not scale, right? Like how, how many counselors and how does that scale? And, you know, some students it. have come to school with um, their, their, their therapists. And one of the big challenges, they might be in one state going to school and their, their psychologists or therapists is in another state yep. during COVID. There was a little bit of give there, but there's still regulatory issues that are interstate where, uh, Congress was looking at legislation to allow for online therapy, um, but you still have um, issues that can't be resolved, mostly on the insurance front and liability. So I, I worry that these students that had relationships starting in their early years um, can't continue the journey with the therapists of their choice. What Absolutely. the heck is going on? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so we're working with a number of our partners to set up things that I think the campuses should be, um, you know, that, that are taking care of our young folks at the end of the day um, should be doing, you know, mindful Mondays, wellness Wednesdays, um, you know, coming up with tactics beyond psychotherapy. I mean, and I'm saying this as a psychologist, um, you know, that promote wellness, um, you know, uh, meditation. I mean, the, the, like the, the purchase of an app to make meditation available for everybody on campus is a wonderful investment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, things like that, um, you know, staging conversations um, for um, uh, for the young people that we serve about the things that they feel like are making them unwell as it's happening instead of after it happens. Um, I have to be honest, one thing um, 
that Laura stole my last question I was going to ask, and it wasn't as good. I, I got to be honest. Hers is much better, but... May I do the thinking, please? <laughs> um, I'm going to ask a new one, um, and it's about societal issue and enrollment fluctuation. And I'm really curious to know if you see enrollment fluctuation based on happenings in society, mostly negative, right? It's not like somebody goes, oh, wow, those two people really worked out their differences and congratulations, everybody. And then you see, and you know, it's typically when something bad is happening and people go, how do I solve these issues? I got to go to school. I want to start a nonprofit. How do I do that? Are you seeing ups and downs? Maybe are you seeing spikes when we have those breakdowns in society that, I don't know, prompt somebody to think about how to get involved? Yeah, I mean, I do think, uh, wow, I mean, do you have another hour? So, so, <laughs> so I, I, I do think that the interest in Adler University, which has been strong, we've doubled our enrollment over the past decade. Oh, um, yeah. And definitely, like, you know, that, that, that the need to solve problems has made people want to come and study at Adler. Um, I think overall for higher ed right now, the challenge, which I think you're alluding to, is, um, you know, uh, national and international uncertainty um, makes people less likely to invest in themselves for education. Um, and um, we, you know, th this terrible um, uh, questioning of the basic value of higher ed which has become part of the political narrative um, is super unhelpful and not a match to the data um, and does make you think twice uh, before enrolling in undergrad or enrolling in graduate school. Um, so um, it doesn't help now too that the labor market is so hot, you know, so um, people will make a short-term decision to get a job. I just uh, do believe though, as we, um, get a little bit further from the pandemic um, that uh, wisdom will uh, win the day here in that um, we can't afford as a country to be uh, less engaged, less smart, less democratic. Um, and we have to keep in investing in ourselves as people in order to know how to participate in that democracy and to help uh, restore trust that's been fading in our basic institutions. You know, like, and you've seen the um, Edelman trust barometer just tanking. And that's because, you know, we just do have to solve these problems about how to fix institutions that people don't believe in anymore. 100%. Laura, over back to you. Well, li listen, um, we were, we had our user event that Joe talked about at Lucian Live in New Orleans. And um, one of the things that that I was really proud of is we brought the LGBTQ community together around your book, uh, Leadership in Higher Education. And um, it, it was fantastic. It was a, a packed room. We had Dr. Whitney there, uh, Dr. Hel Dobler, and from um, President Emerita from Clarion University and uh, Dr. Hal Dobler from uh, William Patterson University. And I, I wanted to raise that number one um, to congratulate you on your book uh, and to promote that because I think more leaders need to read this. It's about community building and two, to, um, to ask about you about the importance of diverse leadership, not just at the top of a university, but across institutions 
um, to make sure that students see the leaders uh, that look like them and that are like them. And too many of our institutions don't have that diversity. So more broadly, I'd love to get your thoughts about the importance of diverse leadership across higher education, what needs to change and what we can all do about it. Wow, thank you for the question, Laura. And, um, and, and the book, and right? Raising the book, book. yeah, your book. thank you. So, so uh, yeah, the, the, the book has just been, it's been so gratifying to see the reaction around the book. So the book is LGBTQ Leadership in Higher Ed is the first book about this subject um, in higher ed. And, and in there, you know, so we brought together 15 uh, presidents and chancellors, um, some retired, some currently serving, um, to address the question of, is there something particular about how queer people lead? Um, is it a superpower? Um, or is it just another characteristic of accomplished leaders? Um, or is it just something we manage within our intersectionality, right? And, um, it, you know, our authors have different perspectives on that. And um, it's interesting to me because I think that the, the literature is much more developed about how women lead or how people of color lead, but we're less likely to say, hey, there's a queer way to lead um, uh, or it's a function of my queerness um, than those other uh, marginalized groups. Um, I wonder if that's our own internalized heterosexism, but um, but I think it's a superpower um, and it's an important superpower to answer your question about the importance of diversity in leadership, um, especially in higher ed um, is, yeah, whether or not you're talking about bringing more women, which we don't have enough of. I mean, women, uh, men to women in college presidencies is still two to one. We just got the new study about that this past weekend. Only 28% of presidents are um, are people of color. Um, and only 7% of presidents um, are, um, are LGBTQ. Um, the reason to have, um, I believe, diverse folks within leadership roles and populating the rest of the academy um, is for representation, as you say, Laura. Absolutely. People need to see themselves in our leaders and be able to see themselves um, being effective and competent and celebrated. Um, but also, it's a basic design problem. Like higher ed was designed for white straight men by white straight men. And um, it's only, I, I think the superpower of being queer, for example, means that I was on the outside growing up, always, you know, scanning for emergencies, looking around corners, you know, so I don't get beat up or so that I can find a camouflage marker queer culture. So we think differently. And that's the only way that you're going to solve some of the design problems that are embedded within higher ed right now is to have that kind of creativity um, based on that queer intuition or based on the other kinds of different thinking that, you know, intersectionality is very powerful in leadership because um, it breaks down a lot of walls about how to look at things typically. So I think that the only way that we're going to get to a place that is more equitable and just around human rights um, in, in general, beyond our sector even, is by having more and more diverse leaders. Uh, where do awesome. we get that book, Ray? I mean, somebody's Fantastic listening right book. now. Where is it at? How do we get it? Amazon. <laughs> It's on Amazon or or it's Johns Hopkins University Press. You can get it right on their website too. Either way. Um, 
Well, I think since Laura brought it up, uh, I just wanted to make sure we said it a third time because I think it's, uh, you know, obviously people are reading it and it's an important uh, book in the community. So I uh, encourage everybody to pick it up when you get a chance. And Ray, we, um, as much as I would like to keep this situation going, I figure you guys have things to do. I mean, I could do this all day. In fact, I do do this all day sometimes. Like I did at eLive. How do you like that? But I do ask guests the same two questions to end every episode. Number one, what did we not say about Adler University in this conversation that needs to be said? Basically an open mic. You take it in any direction that you want to, talk about any topic that you want to. And when you're done with that, tell us what you see for the future of higher education. Yeah, so I don't know that there's anything that I left off the table in describing Adler University. I mean, we are working hard with um, community partners, our students, our faculty, um, our staff, in order to solve problems um, um, and, and to help communities solve their own problems. Um, we're trying to bust the way that universities have typically interacted with communities. And I think that's as important an innovation as our curricula being so straight up focused on social justice. Um, yes. I, think, I think it's important for universities to have different relationships with um, the communities in which they're embedded. Um, and, uh, you know, the wisdom lies within Chicago and within Vancouver, two cities that we're in, um, to get better. Um, the future of higher ed um, uh, needs to be and will be, I think, um, getting further and further away from what we're currently doing. I mean, our business model um, is um, pressed to its limits. Um, and public confidence um, is falling short. And I think the positive side of that um, is that it's um, forcing us to um, think more innovatively, um, you know, as a sector, um, as I think we were trying to do at the American Council on Education conference that I just was at, or the conference that Laura's at right now. Um, you know, um, it's time for some different solutions that work more equitably. Wow. Well, I will tell you, Laura, I don't know what you think about this conversation, but I loved it. No, I loved it too. Um, change, inclusivity, be innovative, uh, make sure that we have better outcomes for students. And it's it's just wonderful to see that um, with your leadership and institutions like Adler University having an impact in communities and changing lives. So uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. This is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. There is um, our guest co-host, your guest co-host, She's Laura Ibsen. She is CEO of Lucian, and she took a break walking from session to session to sit down and co-host with me today, Laura. Thank you. No, thank you. And thanks to Ray. And thank our you. guest, you heard him. There he is. He's your guest today. He is Dr. Raymond Crossman. He's the president at Adler University. Ray, how did you feel about your time here on the Edup Experience podcast? Um, well, the sound effects are blowing uh, my... Uh, non-existent hair off my head. Your viewers can't see that I'm bald. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, I really appreciated the questions and the orientation that y'all are coming from, because I think that um, I could tell by how you're asking your questions and what you're interested in, that you're as interested um, in innovation as we are. So um, appreciate the opportunity to be here today um, and talking to you and talking to your listeners.
Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yet again, you've just ed-upped. It's time to level up. The beginning of a new era in higher education begins with you. Order your copy of Commencement. The beginning of a new era in higher education by Kate Colbert, Dr. Joseph Lucio, with contributions by Elvin Freitas. It's higher education's must-read book of 2022. Discover how you can seize the moment to change higher education forever. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education, now available on Amazon. For bulk orders, contact Kate, Joe, or Elvin. 